0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Man, y'all are y'all are awake. Y'all y'all had your second cup of coffee this morning. Uh but man, uh, incredibly thrilled to to be here with you guys this morning. Cause as Pastor said, man, this is it's been a been a long time coming. Uh, you know, it's like we we uh we we navigated a pandemic. We're navigating pandemic two um and uh and so we'll We'll keep navigating. Um, but man, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm just incredibly excited to just uh, take some time to open God's word with you. Um, so, if you do have your Bibles, Philippians chapter one is where we'll be in, in a few moments. Um, but before we get there, I, I do want to share with you guys just a little bit um, of my story. And uh, just for the sheer fact of, like, I know anytime I get around people that, that I have never met before. Um, if I don't get the armless elephant out of the middle of the room, uh, y'all guys are going to sit there for a minute with, with some questions, uh, chief of which is, uh, where'd the arms go? Uh, and, uh, and most, most people, their automatic assumption goes to like a really dark place. Uh, you know, like I I was at the beach with my family a couple weeks ago and a dude was like, is it a shark? Oh, okay. Um you're weird. Uh, a guy, a couple of years ago, he was like, it was two sharks at the same time. And I was like, bro, if it was two sharks at the same time, you'd, that, there'd be a movie about that. Like if there's a movie about a tornado of sharks, there would be, there would be a movie about two sharks that snatched a dude's arms off. So uh, you don't, don't have to worry about that. Um, so to dispel any sort of, um, I, I think, terrible thoughts that might be... You know, rolling around in the back of your mind, man. This is just this is just the way I was born. You know, this is this is all I've ever known. Um, you know, just in terms of the the life and the body that God has given me. Um, but I think even even within that. Um, <laughs> It was it was just a complete and total surprise, uh, which was a, a, a complete shock to my parents. Because like, you know, my parents had been told all along the way. My my mom's nine months of pregnancy. Yeah, hey, you're gonna have this healthy baby boy. He's gonna be perfectly fine. Nobody knew that anything was wrong, literally until the doctors holding me in the delivery room. And he's holding an, an armless baby boy. And, and not only that, but, but when I was born, I wasn't moving. I wasn't breathing. Um, the doctor tried to find a pulse, and, and he couldn't find a pulse on me. And so just very quickly, he turned towards my dad, and he, he sort of tilted me up so dad could see that, that I didn't have arms. And then he just really quickly asked my dad, do you want us to just let him go? Because, you know, he, he's looking at me, and, and I mean, fr- from a strictly worldly sense, m- my life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, it's like, y'all, we live, we live in a world made by people with arms for people with arms. You know, it's like every, everything that most of y'all do, I, th- I think just with your hands, we, you, you just do subconsciously. I mean, think about, think about your morning this morning. Think about you know your your alarm clock went off or your iPhone went off and you reached over and you slapped that snooze button and you got your extra nine minutes of sleep this morning and now you're nine minutes later for church than you need to be and so it's it's full on panic mode like brush your hair brush your teeth brush the kids teeth and hair and throw them like in in the back of the truck and speed here and get them to class and get in here and flop down and finally put your Bible in your laps now I know it's just we're, we're barely scratching the surface of the day, but hit, hit the reset button on the day. Start it all over again. Do every single one of those things you just did, but don't use your fingers. Don't, don't use your thumbs. Don't use your hands. Don't use your arms. Don't, don't use any of that. And how much of that seems like is going to get done? You know, how, how much of that seems, seems possible? How much of that seems truthfully a life worth living? And again, from, from a strictly worldly perspective, this, this little jacked up armless life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So for that doctor to sit there and, and ask, do you want us to let him go? I mean, that's a purely pragmatic question. But I mean, in, in that moment, you know, my dad, he didn't, he didn't hit him with the shoulder shrug, you know, or he didn't, he didn't hit him with a, well, my, my dad's one reply was, no, that's my boy. And you're gonna do whatever it is that you can do to try to bring him back. And so the doctor rushed me out and they started working on me in another room. And uh and man, just a couple minutes later, by God's grace, doctor walks back in with a little kicking, screaming, armless baby boy, and you know, truthfully, God in his grace had had brought me back from the dead. And I and I think in that moment, like my parents' fear and their worry, it 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 slid to the side for a second. But then what started to happen was, like, word started to spread through the hospital. Hey, yo, armless baby boy up on the third floor, you should go check him out. And so, like, all of these doctors started to stream into our room. It was was, uh, orthopedic specialists, it was pediatricians, it was neurologists. A a guy that was a hand specialist uh, walked into the room, and my dad was like, think you're barking up the wrong tree there, Scooter, you know, and uh, that dude was like, my bad, he didn't, he didn't have any of those, uh, and so he, he left, but it was, it was wild, In in four or five hours, probably 15, 20 doctors come through the room, or where we were, and there was one person that had something positive to say about the prognosis of my life, every other doctor told my parents the range of, listen, your little boy, he's never going to feed himself, He's never going to write. He's never going to go to normal school. He won't graduate. He won't get a job. He won't be a fully functioning independent adult. One doctor like, pulled my dad out into the hall so they could have like, the, the man-to-man conversation. And he just told my dad straight up, he's like, listen, you should just give this kid up for adoption because you don't know what you're in for. This is just going to be a ton of work. Um, just Just wash your hands of the whole thing. And, and for my parents, I think that fear that they experienced as, as they were waiting on whether or not I, I was going to live or die, that, that fear was coming back because now it was how are we going to do this? Because, you know, both, both my parents, you know, they've got all, all 10 fingers and two arms. And, you know, they're, they're woefully qualified to show a kid how to how to write with his feet, you know. Um, but but God knew what he was doing when he made me. And and for my parents, they were trusting in that fact. They were trusting in the fact that it's like, you know what? God brought our son back from the dead. And so God's not going to work the miraculous and then go, all right, figure the rest out. All right, you're, you're on your own. The beautiful part about who we have in God is he is one who is, he is carefully and purely invested in us. He does not distance himself, himself from us. He walks beside us. He walks with us. And so for my parents, they were trusting and resting in the fact that God's got this. And y'all, truthfully, like, like from a physical perspective, that's 100% true. Because it's like, you know what? God, God designed you guys. Like y'all are the, the, the deluxe models. Uh, you know, like you got, you got all the fun stuff like fingers and thumbs. I'm, I'm the economy model. Uh, you know, like I didn't, I didn't get all the fun stuff. I'm just... I'm just more aerodynamic than you. You know, like, that's that's the only thing I got. But it was, you know, as if God designed, yes, me with with this, like, armless hardware. But God designed me with armless software, too. You know, God inscribed on my heart from moment one, hey, hey, bud, didn't give you hands, I gave you feet, go get them, tiger. And And it was wild to watch as I grew up. Like, there was just this natural inclination. You sat a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream on the ground, and put a spoon in it. Nobody had to teach me how to stick a spoon in between my toes and make that ice cream vanish into my face, you know? Like, God, God just wrote that on my heart. No, but nobody had to teach me how to stick a crayon in between my toes and color in between the lines and write my ABCs. It was just, God had naturally just inscribed that on me. And now, you know, there were, there were some things where it's like my, my parents had to step in. You know, my, my dad's a good old Southern boy. And so, you know, early on in the game, dad, dad was teaching me how to be a good redneck. Uh, you know, he, dad taught me how to fish. Dad taught me how to, how to mow the lawn, drive tractors, drive go-karts. Um, I remember probably being a nine or 10-year-old and dad's looking me up and down. He's like, we can't have an unarmed, unarmed man in the house because that's like, you know, that's a double negative. Uh, and, uh, and so we got, we got to teach this boy how to hunt, how to shoot, uh, you know, and dad dad taught me all the good redneck ways, um, you know, I, I was just like everybody else in my high school, I mean, I went to, to normal classes, um, was, was in the honors and AP program at my high school, I graduated high school with honors, um, I went to college on a full ride, I met the girl of my dreams there in college, we, we've been married 15 years now, we've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and, and I've got a, a ministry that I wouldn't trade the world for. And all of that, just, just from a, a physical perspective, all of that came from a kid that the world said, he's not good enough. He doesn't need to be here. He doesn't need to take a breath. He doesn't need to get this whole thing started. And, and y'all, in, in, in all honesty, like the whole physical thing was never my struggle. My struggle in this life Years ago, my struggle in this life now has always been one of just like identity and frustration and trying to feel like I'm a part of this world, because truthfully, and I think like a lot of us, we have a tendency to compare. You know, we have a tendency to look at our lives, and then we get on our phones, we look at everybody else's lives, uh, you know, when we get on Instagram, when we get on Facebook, when we get on Twitter, we see everybody with their perfect family, their perfect kids, their perfect truck, their perfect lawn, their perfect dog, their perfect vacation. It's just like everything's perfect. And we look at our life and we go, it's a dumpster fire. Like there's nothing, there's nothing good about this. There's nothing gracious about this. And so for me, I spent the whole first half of my life looking at my life, and looking at everybody else's, and even though like I had two godly parents, even though I had people that were constantly reminding me, Hey man, Jesus loves you. I would look at my life and then I would look at you guys and go, Well, Jesus loves me, but but apparently Jesus loves them more because Jesus gave them arms. You know, I would look at all you guys and just how easy it is to open doors how easy it is to open a can of pickles. I mean, have you ever tried to open a pickle jar with a big toe? Like, you know, there's so many things where it's just like, God, this isn't fair. God, what did did I do? Where did I screw up? Where did I miss the boat? God, why don't you love me? And so I started to define God's presence in my life on my terms. I started to define God's love for me on my terms, and that just started to create all sorts of issues in my life. I started to hate people because every time I meet new people, all they do is like point, stare, side eye, take low key iPhone camera photos. You know, it's like people are terrible, you know? And so I started to push people away and hate people. I started to push God away and hate God. I started to hate me because I looked at my life and I was like, what's good about this? There's nothing good or glorious or redeemable about this life at all. And that stretched into my teens until, as a 15-year-old, this student pastor sat down with me one night. And and knowing that I was struggling, knowing that I literally hated everything in this life, this man sits with me and he says, Listen, Daniel, I, I need you to know God loves you. And he shows it in the fact that God fearfully and wonderfully made you. This, with this whole armless package for a reason. You're not a genetic mutation. You're not an accident. Like God made you just like this for a reason to display his glory and good in all the world. But not only that, but God shows his love for you in this, is that as you sit in this room and you hate him and you question everything about him and you doubt his love for you, what God did is he sent his son To live the perfect life that you could not possibly live. To die the death that you most certainly should die as a sinner and as a rebel. And God raises Jesus to life to show his power over both sin and death. And to all who trust in him, he adopts into the family of God. And then he sends out on the mission of God. That's how much God loves you. And man, to see my life not based on my circumstances, not based on my comparisons, not based on the way I saw the world, but to see my life on the basis of God's gospel, on the basis of his grace, on the basis of his pursuit of me, changed my life. Because my love, you know, and in God's pursuit and love of me was now seen on his terms through his gospel. And man, it was that night that I trusted in and rested in Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, my King, my everything. And his love started to change everything about who I was. And y'all listen, some of y'all in here this morning, you might be a whole lot like me. You might be sitting here and going, there's nothing good about this. There's nothing good about my life, about my circumstances. There's nothing good about my past. There's nothing good about my present or my future. What in the world is God going to do with this? What in the world is God going to do with me? But what I want us to see this morning from the book of Philippians is God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. And when we start to see it defined on his terms by who he says he is, it will truthfully change our lives. So again, if you have those Bibles, Philippians chapter one is where we're going to be. We're going to read Philippians chapter one, verses 19 through 27. And now listen, just like, a look, you know, to set the stage, the, the apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And as Paul writes his letter, he, he's sitting in prison for preaching the gospel. He's sitting in prison. And truthfully, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. Like, he doesn't know if if his sentence is going to end up just meaning that he's going to be in prison for a really long time. He doesn't know if his sentence is going to mean that that the executioner's axe is going to fall on his head. He doesn't know what tomorrow will hold. But in this book, a lot of biblical scholars, they describe the book of Philippians as the book of joy. The book of joy written by a man in prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die. And as we're about to read, like Paul gives us, Paul gives us the secret to live life in such a way, uh, apart from our circumstances, apart from our hurt, apart from our darkness, that we don't have to focus on what's going wrong. We just simply have to focus on the one who created and and, and the one who sustains all things. So read with me Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 27. God's word says this. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell i am hard pressed between the two my desire to depart and to be with christ for that is far better but to remain on in the flesh is more necessary on your account and convinced of this i know that i will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in christ jesus because of my coming to you again only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, I just pray in these next few moments as we look at your good news, as we look at your life through the lens that that God, you see us through, Father, I pray that we would build our lives on you and your work and your purpose, knowing and understanding that it is you who holds us along through all of it. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a few things I want us to see this morning, just as we look at this text, as we look at at, at our own lives. And the first thing is this, is that no matter what we have to face in this life, Jesus gives us the courage to face it. Jesus gives us the courage to face whatever comes today, to, to face whatever comes tomorrow. You see it right there in verses 19 and 20, Paul's saying, listen, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, he's talking about the fact that he's in prison and that, you know, he, he's, he's very incredibly hopeful. He's like, I know I'm going to be delivered. But it's either going to—I'm going to be delivered by life, I'm going to be delivered by death. But he says in verse twenty, just pray that I will have the courage to face this. Pray that with the courage that Christ gives, that I will be able to walk through this and endure this. And it's wild because Paul says, like, don't 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 think that it's like I'm I'm going to be courageous just on my own by my own grit and grind. But he says there, right there in verse nineteen, it is by your prayers. And it's by the help of the Spirit that I'm going to be able to face this. I mean, truthfully, think about this for a second. Here's a guy, I mean, if you could call someone a biblical rock star, I mean, that's truthfully, that's what Paul is. Paul is a guy, he's got the amazing story. The amazing testimony of just life change, of of the evidence of the work of the Spirit in his life. Here is a guy that, that God has set up to, to found the New Testament church, the church towards the Gentiles. Here is a guy that God is using to pen the vast majority of the New Testament. God is doing so many things through Paul. Here is a guy, as he describes to the Corinthian church, like Paul has been through it all. Paul has faced all sorts of trials in darkness and hurt. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been hated. He's been persecuted. Like Paul, Paul has a PhD in suffering. And so as he sits here in the midst of another wave of suffering, Paul doesn't say, man, I can get through this. I've got this. I've just got to grit and grind my way through it. He says, no, the only way I get through this is by the grace of God. And so if Paul sits there with his PhD in suffering and goes, I can only endure this because of my creator and my savior and my sustainer. We we have to have that same expectation of ourselves. Like some of us in this room this morning, like we are walking through some stuff. We are walking through affliction. We are walking through trials. We are walking through scary health diagnosis. We're walking through relational stress. We're walking through financial stress. I don't know where you're at on on this timeline, but the beautiful part is, is we see right here, we have one who will walk with us through it. You see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it's one of the most famous verses of Scripture in all of the New Testament. And Paul says this, I can do all things through who? I can do all things through Christ that gives me the strength. Paul's sitting there going, listen, it is not by my own grit and grind. It's not by my own wisdom. It's not by my own awesomeness. It's only by Christ that I can face tomorrow. And for some of us in this room this morning, one of the things that we need to do right now is to admit, I don't got this. I don't have this. Because there are so many times, and and just you know, truthfully speaking, like for me as a man, there's so many times where us as, as providers and leaders, we go, I got this. I I can't show weakness, I can't show vulnerability. And how many times do we we walk in these double doors on a Sunday morning and and you'll see the greeter and you'll, you'll shake hands or whatever, whatever greeting is COVID approved these days, you know, like elbow bump, head, head, butt. I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, but you, but you walk in, you say hi. And then what's always the question we're going to give each other. Hey man, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? And what are we always going to say? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. You're good. My dog's good. The cat's good. Everybody's good. When in reality, we're not. We're, we're struggling. We're hurting. We, we, we have a, a life full of questions and doubt. But, but for some crazy reason, like we walk into this place and we think the one place that I have to be perfect at is at church on Sundays. When the reality is there's one person that knows all the junk that you're trying to hide in your closet, and that's God himself. Like you're not you're not fooling him. And then the reality too is just as much like we we try to come in here and be perfect. The vast majority of the people in this room are going through some stuff too. We're going through hurt and heartache and trial and darkness and frustration and things not going according to plan. And what we have in this room are people that, as Paul charges the, the Galatian church, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. If Jesus has you, if your brothers and sisters in Christ desire to come behind you and and have your back and walk alongside you, I think one of the things that we need to be apt to do is to go, I don't have this. I need God's help. I need the help of, of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Abide in him. Trust him, like Jesus says in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can't do anything. Some of us this morning just need to abide. Some of us just need to trust in him is our courage, is our strength, is our hope to face today, to face tomorrow. Because the second thing I want us to see is this is just as much as Jesus is our courage. Second thing is Jesus is our life. Jesus is our life. Like y'all, truthfully, our lives in the midst of this broken, jacked up world do not make sense apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. My life does not make a whole lot of earthly sense. Paul's life sitting there in prison for telling people about the hope that Jesus brings. Paul's sitting there, and he can say in verse 21, you know what? Even as talking about this Savior has, me, has my freedom gone, it's got my life threatened, but you know what? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you sit there and look at Paul, that is the most annoying human being on on the planet to persecute. Because For him to live as Christ, so it's like his everything, his value, his identity, his hope, his strength is built up on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so you take his freedom, you take his job, you take his platform, you take his wealth, you take his everything, and he's like, suckers to live as Christ. Like he's not... He's not scared by that at all because he's built his life on the one thing that you cannot take from him. And then you know what? You threaten to kill him. You threaten to execute him. And he's like, great, just introduce me to the one I've lived my whole life for. Like, it's a win-win, bro. Like, you know, Paul, Paul is completely unaffected by what he's having to navigate in the midst of this imprisonment. And it is solely because... He knows where his hope and where his help comes from. Again, fast forward to Philippians chapter 4 again, the few verses before verse 13. Paul says, listen, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances that I find myself in, I know the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need then he says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me the strength. Why is that? Step back one chapter, Philippians chapter 3. I count all things as loss. I count all things as trash, as disposable, in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. Paul is sitting there and going, listen, I've done it all. Because honestly, before Christ, Before Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was set. Paul had the government job, Paul had wealth, Paul had fame, Paul had power, Paul had everything. And you know what? The moment he met Jesus, he lost every bit of that. The moment that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he lost his power, he lost his job, he lost his fame, he lost his name, he lost his health. And yet he can still say, you know what? I count all of that as trash in view of the surpassing greatness of trusting and investing in Jesus as my Lord. Because I see who he is, I see what he's worth, and I would do it all again. And y'all hear me out. Whatever that that you're holding in your hand right now that is giving you your value and your worth, whether it's your job or, or the zeros in your bank account, or whether it's your platform, or whether it's the square footage of your house, or the truck you're driving, or the boat you have, or the vacation that you go on. Like, our world finds identity in either what we do or the stuff that we have. But all of that fails to give us value and worth. That doesn't make us us. That's just stuff that we end up giving to somebody else or selling to someone else somewhere down the line. That's money we pass along an in inheritance somewhere down the line. It's great resources, it's good things, but that doesn't make us who we are. Like Jesus says himself, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. The enemy comes to still kill, and destroy. We have to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is the one person that we can base our life on, that we can use as our foundation to live this life and to move forward. He is the one person that will never let us down. We can't build our lives on job. We can't build our lives as, as a sum of our victories. And truthfully, is this the good news of the gospel? Is you are also just as much, you are not a sum of your mistakes. That in Christ, we are not a sum of sins. We are not a sum of failures. We're not a sum of weaknesses. We're not the sum of things that we don't have. In Christ, we are an adopted son or we are an adopted daughter. In Christ, we are given the, the fruits of the Spirit to show him to all the world. In Christ, we are sent out on mission to give the world the one bit of hope that they actually have. This is all by the grace that he has given us through his work and not our own. And some of us just need to build our lives on that good news this morning. Because ultimately it's this, and this is the last thing I want us to see this morning, is Christ gives us courage. Christ is our life. And Christ gives us purpose. Christ gives us purpose is the last thing I want us to see this morning. Again, if you look in verses 26 and 27, like... Paul is just coming off this inner debate. He says, Listen, I'm sitting in prison. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And he says, Truthfully, I don't know if I want to carry on or if I just want the executioner to come and finish me off. Because he says, Listen, it's, it's far better for me if I pass from this life to the next and see Jesus face to face. Because for me personally, Paul's saying, I don't have to suffer. I don't have to be persecuted. I don't have to endure this anymore. But Paul says the one thing that he's staying behind, the one reason why he desires to carry on in this life, it is for the good of the church. He says right there in verse 26, that I will remain so that in me, you may have ample reason to glory in God. Then in verse 27, only walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the good news that you and I have in him. The one reason why we were put on this earth, the one reason why you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, the one reason why you and I are rescued and redeemed is that we can go out into this world and we can tell people about the hope that we have in him. You and I, we all have purpose. Even if even if you're sitting in this room and you don't feel like God's calling you into ministry or God's calling you into missions or God's calling you to be a a small group leader in this church, well, you know what? God is still calling us that with whatever platform, with whatever relationships, with whatever opportunities that we have, that we're going to make much of him with our efforts, with our words, and with our lives that everything I do is either going to be to him, for him, or I'm going to tell the world about him. And at times that's going to put us in really uncomfortable places, y'all. Like, you know, just to look at my story, you know, God saves me at 15. At 16 years old, God calls me into ministry. And I'm sitting here going, Lord, I hate people. Like people people stink. Like, I just don't, I don't enjoy human beings at all. I'm a natural introvert. Like, Lord, call me to be a veterinarian. Don't call me to be a a, a pastor. Like, that's not, that's not my thing. But yeah, God still called. God still continued to use, and it was hard. And I mean, it's like, even today, like, I'm, I'm just, I would be much happier on an icy mountaintop than in a room full of humans. Like, that's just... That's just naturally the way I'm cut, but yet God is still reminding each and every one of us, I have a story for you to tell. I have a grace for you to share, and he will continually put us in places where we don't feel even remotely prepared for or that we have the goods for. You know, a few years ago, I'm sitting on my back porch, and, and I'm scrolling through Twitter, like every good millennial, and um. And, uh, and I just tap on a, it was like a, a news article. And, and in this news article, it was talking about a, um, like this, this legislation that was going the, through the Virginia state legislature, oriented around abortion. And, and in this legislation, they're talking about that they wanted to open up protections to abort kids with disabilities all the way up until the point of birth. And even in this legislation, the governor of Virginia, he's describing a scenario in which a child with a disability could be born, and in his words, that kid could be kept comfortable and a conversation can ensue between the doctor and the mother as to whether the baby should live or die. And y'all, I'm I'm not an overly political person by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I'm I'm a Christ first, Christ is king, Christ over everything type dude. But I'm sitting here and I'm going... That, that's the conversation that was held over my life. That's, that's the conversation that a doctor looked my dad in the eye and said, you know what, do you just want us to let this little kiddo go? And I was like, how many more parents are going to be told all the things that their kids are never going to do, all the things that their kids will never be, and, and how many little lives are going to get snuffed out just because we don't look like you, or, or we don't have the same chromosomes as you, and so, you know, I, I, I'm trying to process through, like, what do I do? What do I say? And so, again, I'm a, I'm a millennial, and so I shot a video on my phone, and then I posted it on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, in, in this video, I mean, it couldn't have been 90 seconds, but I'm, I'm just talking about the fact that it's like the value of human life has nothing to do with ability or disability. The, the value of human life is stamped on every kid from the moment of conception by the one who has fearfully and wonderfully made them. Every, every, life, every life is an image bearer, regardless of if we have 10 fingers or no fingers, two arms or no arms. My life is worth it because of the one who has made me. And it was crazy that in just a matter of hours, this little video had, had been viewed tens of thousands of times, and all these people were like liking it and retweeting it. And I was like, that's weird. Um, you know, Like I, I was just... I was not like remotely prepared for that, and um, and so much so that somebody from Fox News reached out to me through Twitter, and they were like, "Hey, bro, cool, cool video. Um, could you turn that video into like an 800-word article, and uh, and we'll we'll run it on our website tomorrow." And, uh, and I'm kind of replying to him. Now, again, like, remember, first and foremost, I hate people. Um, and so I definitely, I definitely don't want to deal with people on, on like a platform like that. And so I was like, I know it will scare them off. And so I hit him with the, listen, guys, I'm not super smart. Um, and so all I have is Jesus. Like, I'm a preacher, dude. And so like, I can only tell people about Jesus and armlessness. Like, that's, that's the two things I got. So it's like, you know, if, if you're cool with that, then I guess that's what we're going to have to go with. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, dang it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, all right, I'll try to get you something tonight. And, and, and so I, I type something up with my two little big toes on my keyboard, and I, I email it off. And lo and behold, they, they run the piece. And it, it was wild that, that on this one Saturday that this piece ran, Of all the things that Apple News picked up as their one push notification to send to every Apple device in the United States, it was this one article talking about that each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made to display the glory of God in all the world and that each and every human life matters because of their creator and sustainer. And it was wild to watch in just that first 24 hours, four million people read this little article. And so Fox News, they double back down like that next morning. They're like, hey, buddy, that was cool. Um, can, can you be in New York City in 12 hours? Because we'd really like to bring you on a show and do like some question and answer about this whole like abortion sanctity of life thing. Okay, again, remember, I don't like people um, at all. And, uh, and so I'm going, y'all, uh, this is this in my wheelhouse. Um, this, you know, again, all I've got is Jesus and armlessness. Like if you're cool with that, okay. Um, and, and so they were like, oh yeah, that's fine. Uh, where, where should we, uh, fly you out of? And, uh, and so they started booking my plane tickets and I'm going, what am I going to do? Like, I, I, I don't like people. And this is, I mean, truthfully, this is, this is humanity on a scale of like 7 million people. Watch the, the, the little show I'm supposed to like go on. And I'm going, if, if I put my foot in my mouth, which is really easy when you eat with your, you know, eat with your feet, like, if, if, if I look like a moron, seven million people will know I'm a moron. And, uh, and so it's like, I'm, I'm scared, I'm freaking out. And, um, and, and so in the lead up to the show, like, they send me the questions that they're going to ask, like, on air. And then what I'm supposed to do is I type up my responses. I send it back to them. And so everybody knows what everybody's going to say, like, in advance. Like, we're all on the same page. It's all laid out. And so in my mind, like, flying up to New York, I'm going through the questions. I'm going through what I'm going to say. I get there. I walk in. We start this interview. And first three questions goes according to plan. Even though I'm terrified, I'm like, let's just get through this. Let's get this over. And then the fourth question the lady asked me, she totally goes off script and throws me a curveball. And I'm like, crap, uh, you know, I was not prepared for this. And she asked me, she says, listen, something happened when you were 15 years old that changed your life. What was it? And, I, you know, again, I'm here to talk about sanctity of human life, abortion, I'm thinking about my teenage years, and I'm like, I didn't do anything with that, bro. Like, and I'm racking my brain, and I realize this woman wants me to talk about the day I trusted and rested in. Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, my King. And for the next 45 seconds, I got to share the gospel of God's grace with 7 million people. Like, y'all, I, I could preach for 50 more years. I'm not preaching to 7 million people. But, but in that one moment, I did. In that one moment, the world got to know that God is still good, even when my circumstances aren't. And God used my insecurity. God used all of my brokenness. God used the one moment where I'm sitting there going, God, I don't got this. And the Lord's going, well, yeah, duh. I got this. Like, just, just trust me. And God says the same thing over your life. Like there are so many times when, when we don't feel ready, when we don't feel like we have the goods to have gospel conversations with our neighbors or to have gospel conversations with the people in our family that don't know Jesus. Sometimes we feel like our lives don't matter because you know, in, in, in terms of the kingdom of God, I'm not a preacher or a missionary, so what can I do? You know what? You have a circle of influence. You have people that I will never meet. You have people in your life your pastor will never talk to. You are the walking, talking picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ to them. So in view of that, how do you walk? How do you live? How do you talk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel that you've been given? Because it might be hard, it might be uncomfortable, but truthfully, God says, if you just trust me. I got you. You just trust me. If you use what you have, if you offer up your life, like Romans chapter 12 says, if you offer up your life as a living sacrifice, which is your one acceptable form of worship, if you just trust me on my terms, I've got you. And some of us today, simply as we leave these doors today, we have to figure out how do I worship God with my life and not just worship God with my Sundays. How do I worship God with my time and my talents and my relationships and not just one hour a Sunday morning? Because what we have in the gospel is a life to live that's so much bigger than giving God just a fraction of who we are. He's worth our everything. So this morning, it is just my simple challenge to you is in view of a God who loves you, in view of a God who is giving you courage, who is giving you life, who is giving you purpose. What is your response to that? What is your response to a good and kind and loving and ruling and reigning king? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for each and every person in this room this morning. God, I thank you so much just for the fact that even in the worst circumstances that we have to face day to day, that God, you are walking beside us, that you are holding us up. God, even when we don't know what tomorrow will hold, we know that you are holding us. And God, I pray we would find our life, we would find our hope, we would find our purpose, we would find the way that we live all in you, all for you and all to you for your glory and for your kingdom. God, use us, not just here at this address. God, use us at our home. Use us at our work. Use us in our community to show the world the hope we have in you. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.